And uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, delighting in Christ as He is full of grace. Uh, Let me open up in a word of prayer, and we'll get right into this wonderful subject. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we ask and pray, Lord, that you would help us to uh, see the beauty and the glory of Christ uh, this morning. Father, we are so distracted with the things of this world. There are other beauties, other glories that are lesser, that, uh, that uh, cry out for our attention in this life. And Father, forgive us for giving those, uh, giving those the attention of our hearts and our love and our, and our devotion instead of you. We pray, Lord, that you would consecrate our hearts to love and be devoted to our Savior this morning. And I pray that you would use this lesson to uh, fan that flame of love in our hearts. If we've allowed it to grow dim, that you would allow this time to, uh, to ignite and to inflame our desire for our lovely Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, this morning, again, we're looking at full of grace, full of grace, and we begin with uh, a couple of verses to kind of set the table for us. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then a few verses later, a couple verses later, uh, John 1, 16. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. What we're looking at this morning is that Jesus Christ is full of grace. He's full of grace. And as we're following John Owen in his chapter on the delightfulness of Christ, in his book, Communion with God, uh, he draws our attention to this fact that Christ being full of grace, Christ being full of grace, um, he elab- uh, John elaborates what that means for Christ to be full of grace, experientially. Uh, what does that mean for us as believers? That's what he focuses on. Uh, we can look at his attributes and how he is full of divine grace, but, but uh, personally, and uh, when it involves us, when we're in the picture and when our hearts are a, a matter of the subject, what does it mean for us that Christ is full of grace for us? And because, notice, it says, we beheld his glory. And so this glory is something, uh, is this glory of, of Jesus being uh, full of grace is something to be beheld. It's something to be beheld that is experienced by the Christian. And what that means, he explains what that means. He draws a wonderful connection to the next verse in verse 16. Of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. So this, this fullness, and specifically being full of grace, it is something that we receive. So the fullness of grace is something that comes to us. And then, in that experience, in that receiving of the grace the full grace of, of Christ, he says it is uh, an immeasurable grace, an infinite grace, because he says grace upon grace. There's, a, there's a, an idea of degree. And so there, there's two aspects to the grace of God um, that we experience that John Owen wants to focus on. And that is that uh, there, there is the aspect of kind or types of grace, and then degrees of grace. Those are our two points this morning. 
all kinds of grace and uh, the degrees, all degrees of grace. First of all, we want to look at all kinds of grace. When we experience and receive the grace of Christ in our lives, uh, it is a grace for every season. It's a grace for every circumstance and every need that you might have. There are all kinds of graces. Now we have to kind of define what grace is, right? I think that's probably a first step. What is grace? It's a, it's a really difficult thing to, uh, to nail down. Uh, some define grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's, that's uh, a partial definition. It's a partial definition. It's good when you're just talking about the gospel. Um, but uh, what about the other kinds of, uh, of, of grace that come to the Christian or even to the unbelieving world? Uh, it doesn't seem to fit. There are other passages that we're going to look at this morning that, where that definition isn't, isn't enough. Uh, for some, grace means, you know, uh, just a, a kind disposition, uh, you know, good feelings, or, or, or just, you know, uh, just a, a mere favor or attitude that God has towards someone. And that's also a good partial definition because, uh, well, well, because we'll see that that definition holds holds up in some passages, but in other passages, like uh, where Christ says, my grace is sufficient for you, uh, that's just not quite enough. It's not enough that, you know, Jesus would say in the midst of your trials, uh, you know, my, my good feelings for you uh, is, is sufficient. My, my good attitude towards you uh, is sufficient for you. That's just not enough. I, I need more than just an attitude of Jesus. Um, so what is grace? It's, uh, it's kind of a, a melding of the two. And uh, uh, one pastor, a theologian, uh, gives us a, a definition of grace that is essentially the idea that grace is uh, when God, out of his uh, free love, acts in the life, or, or acts in creation. It, it is, or, or to say it another way, it is the free act of God uh, that comes out of his free love. And we're going to see that uh, it, it, it is this, as it were, this uh, loving, divine invasion of God into our lives or involvement of God into our lives. That's grace. It comes from an attitude, it comes from a heart of, of love and, and free sovereign grace and favor, but it's more than that because it comes out in action where God actually does something and he is personally involved uh, in our lives. So we're going we're gonna to see that that, that idea of, of a definition of grace, the, the, the free uh, working of God uh, in the life of the believer, uh, that is the result of his love, of his free love for the believer. We're going to see that definition just uh, come up uh, as we go through these passages. So all kinds of grace. So all kinds of Ways that God is involved in your life as a result of his love. Does that make sense? There, there are all kinds of ways that God invades or, is, or, or acts in your life out of his sovereign free love. Well, and, well that, that, uh, that fills it up with some color, doesn't it? Well, if we were to, to catalog all the ways that God works in our lives... My goodness, they're, they're almost innumerable. Uh, but uh, the New Testament gives us quite a few. Um, again, 
We're, we're looking at all kinds of grace, all kinds of grace. And uh, this comes from the first half of this verse. Of his fullness we have all received. Of his fullness we have all received. You have received out of his fullness, out of the fullness of his grace. No matter what circumstance you find yourself in, you can draw from that in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of situations. Uh, Richard Sibbs, speaking about this topic, uh, says, if we, if we look to God as a father, we must see him to be Christ's father first. If we desire to see ourselves acquitted of our sins, let us first look at Christ risen for our justification. If we think of glorification in heaven, let us look up to Christ as glorified first. And when we consider any spiritual blessing, consider it in Christ first. What is he saying? Well, he says it, he crystallizes it in this. All the promises are made to Christ. He takes them first from God the Father and gives them to us by His Holy Spirit. The first fullness is in God. And He, God empties Himself into Christ. And therefore, uh, He is full, right, of the fullness of God. Scripture says, and then Richard Sibbs draws our connection to our, our verse. And of his fullness, Christ's fullness, we all receive grace. So the fullness is in the deity of God, the God the Father specifically. And it, it pleased God that all the fullness of God should dwell in him. Who is that? Christ, Colossians 1 says. And of Christ's fullness, we receive. So you want the fullness of God, you have to go to Christ. You want fullness of grace, you have to go to Christ because he has been filled, he is full of grace. What kinds of grace? Well, first of all, grace for holiness. Grace for holiness. Do you need grace to live the Christian life? To be a a godly man, a godly woman. You go to Christ for that. Christ is full of grace in that he has supplied you, Christian, with an example for obedience. He, was, he is so kind that he, and, and so loving towards you that he acted by becoming a man and living a perfectly righteous life to give you an example. He didn't just bark the orders from, from on high, though he could have done that. But in his grace, he clothes himself in our humanity and says, okay, this is what it looks like. Follow me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. You see, we are called to imitate Christ. He is the supreme one. He is the, the ultimate, premier example of godliness in human flesh. And so you might look up to somebody, a mentor, a discipler, uh, a, a parent, uh, an authority figure who is a believer, you might look up to somebody in their godliness, but you're not just merely trying to be like that person. That person isn't good enough fully to, to be a complete model for your life. Amen. Only Christ Amen. can fill those shoes. Ephesians 4.13 Ephesians 4.13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, 
and of the full knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Notice it, it, this fullness of Christ is, is, is likened to the, the measure of the stature. What's the measure of the stature? It, 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 what is he talking about? He's, about? he's talking about spiritual maturity. But what's amazing here is he's not just talking about your individual maturity. He's talking corporately. Because he's talking, he's saying we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man as a corporate body of Christ, as a local church, as well as the universal church, but especially, specifically here, the local church. Uh, it, it's not good that you have a local church where everybody looks like and acts like the pastor. It's not good. It's not biblical. Because the pastor is just one man. And he has flaws and uh, lacks strengths. But we can't say that of Christ. You see, a, 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 a local church that where, where the majority of the people just look like or are just carbon copies of the pastor will be a lopsided and spiritually weak church. That's why Christ, that's why it's glorious for him. That's why it's, it's, it's stunning that this one man, the God-man Jesus Christ, is, is full and complete, is a full and complete man to the point where a whole body of believers can look to the one man, Jesus Christ, and say, I want to be like him. And if the whole church were to strive towards being like Christ, then you have a healthy, strong church. You see, there's deficiency in men, but there's no deficiency in Christ. He is glorious in his godliness, in his holiness. And in his grace, he has clothed himself with humanity to give you an example so that you know what it looks like to truly live a victorious, abundant human life. Not only does he have grace for holiness, but grace for communion. Grace for communion. What I mean there is Grace uh, for commu your communion with God. That is your communion with, with God. Christ in his eternal uh, nature, as an eternal son of God, did not look down from heaven and say, oh, I wish they could be you know, part of what we have, Father. I wish that uh, you know, the, the fellowship and the love and the joy that we have as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I, I, they would, so it would be so nice for them to experience that and to, and to enjoy that. But, you know, they, they, they mess it all up with their sin. And, uh, you know, well, uh, it, it's, it's good to dream, you know, and, and it's, I, I, wish, I wish it could be otherwise, but too bad. No, Christ in his great love and grace came to this earth to make it so that you can be brought into the fellowship of the triune God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 says, Walk in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. I bring us to this passage because... Christ's sacrifice, his sacrifice of his full obedient life and his obedience in death in our place. His sacrifice that he offered up was a fragrant aroma to the Father. God delighted in the sacrifice of his only begotten Son. Why does that matter? Well, if you stand before God on your own, you 
emit a stench of sin, Christian. You are offensive in and of yourself to the most holy God. But Christ, standing there with you and going before you into the presence of God, fills, as it were, the nostrils of God the Father with his fragrant aroma so that you can enter and God can delight in you that he's not put off by the stench of your sin. Hebrews 7, 25 says, Therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Notice, this is the delightful phrase here. We draw near to God. How do you draw near to God according to this verse? Through Christ. Through Christ. And that drawing near, that communion that is through Christ, is an everlasting communion. Because it says he is able to save forever. It's an eternal communion. And there is no uh, sin that you could do that breaks that communion. Where God has, wants nothing to do with you. There's nothing you could do, Christian, if you are a true believer. There's nothing that you could do to break the relationship. Because Christ always lives to make intercession for you. To, he, has, he has established that communion that you have with God, and he maintains that communion that you have with God through his ongoing intercession. You see, he is graciously involved, isn't he, in your life? Uh, next, the all kinds of grace, the all different kinds of grace of Christ shows itself in the grace to richly provide. The grace to richly provide. Christ in his grace supplies the believer with everything that he or she needs. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says... Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Specifically here, Paul is talking about his sufficiency to fill the task of a minister of the gospel. Christian, in, in your life, whatever role you play in the church or in the home, and you, when you don't feel like you're up for the task, that's the whole point, Christian. When it comes to spiritual matters, you're not up for the task. You're not sufficient in yourself. So then how can you do these eternal things? How can you have an eternal impact? Well, because your sufficiency comes from Christ. He will supply you with everything that you need for the work that's before you. Hasn't he done that this past year? He will do that in greater degrees next year if you would allow him to. If you would but get out of the way and allow him to use you to stop saying no or not yet or I'm not enough. We know you're not enough. But we still ask for your help. You see, your sufficiency comes from Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though being rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Here, Paul is speaking not necessarily of your day to day supply for grace uh, for the work of ministry and to lead a godly life, but but here, the grace of Christ supplying uh, the riches of salvation. 
all the spiritual benefits that you have received when you became a child of God, when you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, all the glorious things that came with that, all the, the, the riches. Uh, and what are, what are some things? You tell me. What are some things when somebody comes to faith in Christ, what is given to him or her at that moment of salvation? What, what is true of that person? What, what is given? What, what is granted to that, to that believer? Peace with God. That's a rich treasure, isn't it? Forgiveness. Adoption as children of God. Yes. What else? Predestination. Uh, the. Yeah. The well. The, uh, the 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 culmination of that predestination, really, uh, where having been chosen, I am His now. Where that it comes into fruition, comes into reality. Yeah. Yeah. A love for God. A love, and that comes from a new heart. Yeah, the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, ever living within us to help us and to guide us and to comfort us and encourage us. Justification, right? How can we forget that? Uh, joy. Uh, uh, Christ says, uh, "Well." He says his, his peace he gives to us. But, but Paul tells us to rejoice in Christ. We, you can actually have true joy as a believer. Yes, now we can go on and on, right? So, Christ, in his grace, because of his free love, freely acted to, though he was rich, give all of that up, and through his poverty, make you rich in these spiritual things, to provide all of these things, peace with God, joy, a new heart that loves God, relationship with God, justification, forgiveness, the Holy Spirit, adoption, all of these things and more. He, he brings with him and gives to the believer. Next. Uh, the grace of Christ is the grace to fill our needs. The grace to fill our needs. What I mean here is that Christ is fit for all occasions and all necessities of the soul. John Owen divides it into those two topics. Uh, that Christ is, uh, well, the old English term is, he is meets. That is, he is M-E-E-T-S. He is the exact supply for the lack that is the present. Uh, he is that provision. He fills our needs in whether it's any occasion or necessity of the soul. Uh, specifically here, Romans 5.20 says, Now the law came in so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So, do you have sin? Do you have sin? And do you have a mountain of sin? Well, there is a mountain of grace that is for you that overshadows your mound of sin. So do you have a need? Do you have a, a, a need for your sin to be dealt with? How grave is that need? How grave is that sin? However deep that sin goes or how vast it is, Christ comes with all-sufficient grace, abounding grace that is more than enough for the need of your sin to be handled, to be covered and wiped clean, to be paid for. His grace is 
more than enough for your need. Second Corinthians twelve nine says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast in my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So we see the sufficient grace of God, the, the, uh, this kind of grace that meets the present need, no matter what degree it might be. What, what, is, the, what is the grace that he provides here? What's the word that he uses? What, what, what does he supply to the Christian? Power. Power. Power is perfected in weakness. It's the power of Christ that comes to us. So then what's the need? What's the other word? What's the opposite of the power here in the verse? Weakness. weakness. So do you have a weakness, Christian? Do you have a weakness in your life? Are there insufficiencies in your, uh, in, in your intellect or your physical ability or your personality or what you think you're capable of? Do you have a weakness of, of a, a hindrance in your life that you think is holding you back uh, from really exalting the Lord? Christ says, I have power for that weakness. I have just the right power to fill that weakness so that you can keep going and exalt my name. And I love, I always point this out when I come here. Notice the, the power is contrasted with the weakness. Again, the power of Christ is contrasted with the weakness. But here he says weaknesses, right? It's not just that we have one weakness. So I'm just, I'm just weak here, Jesus. If you just help me out right here in my life, you know, then I got everything else. But just this one spot, you know, I, I'm a little weak on no, no, no. No, we, we have plenty of weaknesses, don't we? If we're honest. And Christ is sufficient for all of those things. Next, grace to display deity. Grace to display deity. Christian, you need to understand and expand your appreciation of what it means to be a Christian. You get to see and relate to God. You get to commune with your maker, the perfect one. That should be all that you need in life. This is the great tragedy of the garden, isn't it? When Adam and Eve sinned, what was the consequence? Of course, death, but separation. God banished them out of the garden, out of, his, his, out of this communal relate, relating presence of God, this enjoyment of God. Banished from Eden, signifying that this relationship between God and man is now severed because of sin. And man, because man is sinful, cannot just waltz right up to God and commune with Him and be with Him. I mean, that's what hell is, right? It is the eternal banishment from communion with God. God will be present in hell, but in all of his wrath, in all of his justice, he'll be present, in all of his righteousness. But it will not be an enjoyable thing for those in hell. They won't have sweet communion of God. Christian, that's, that's the, the, the jewel of Christianity is you get him. And to draw our attention to that, John 1 18. 
No one has seen God at any time. Now, let's stop there. No one has seen God at any time. This is the state of humanity. This is the state of the sinner. You haven't seen God and you don't get to see God in this uh, communal uh, uh, way of enjoying a relationship with Him. That's the stance of the sinner. You, You don't see God and you don't get to see Him. You can't see Him and you never will see Him. That's the state of the sinner. But the verse doesn't end there, praise the Lord. No one has seen God at any time. You could almost put in, but we don't. But the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Who is He talking about here? The only begotten God, that is of course Jesus Christ, right? And He is in the bosom of the Father. That is, He comes from the Father. He is eternally begotten of God. And we go from never seeing God, never knowing Him personally, to this eternal God becoming man so so that He can explain God to us. That is, literally exegete God to us. Literally, the, the idea is, You don't get to see God. You don't get to understand Him. He is beyond your comprehension, beyond the realm of your perception. But God in Christ comes to us and you get to see Him and know Him. You get to understand God as you get to know your Savior. Uh, Titus 2, 11 and 12 For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly desires, we should live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. The main verb here, the main main idea, the grace of God has appeared. Now, this, this, is, this is a whole sermon, right? But we're talking about Christ being full of grace, right? Here in Titus 2, what's being done is uh, this grace of God is personified. It, 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 he's saying uh, we could look at Christ and His appearing as, as the God-man, as Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we could say that is the grace of God. The grace of God in flesh. Well, we could say that of the love of God and the kindness of God and the goodness of God. But here it is the grace of God. Why? Because it's, it is God invading this world, right? He is acting. He is getting involved in the situation. That's what God was doing in the incarnation of Christ. He was proving His grace. He was demonstrating His grace. He was showing, I love my people, and so I'm going to invade the world. And I'm going to act. That's grace. And that grace is Christ. It is Him. He is the grace of God. And so, so you want to know the grace of God, you look to Christ, right? Uh, what did he do? Well, the two uh, participles, uh, bringing salvation to all men and instructing us, right? That we should, how we should live, right? So why did the grace of God appear? Why did Christ appear? To bring salvation, but also to give instruction, to tell you how to live, right? He's Savior and Lord. He's both. A couple more. The last point is is pretty brief, in case you're getting panicked. Um, Grace to give victory. Grace to give victory. 
Christ in his grace has given us a perfect victory in trials and over temptation. Two kinds of victory. First, 2 Timothy 2.1, You therefore, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Notice, what do we draw when we go to the grace that is in Christ? What do we, what do we receive? Strength. And the context is here, uh, the, the fact that, uh, well, in chapter 1, Tim, uh, Paul has been talking about his struggles, his trials, and uh, he speaks also in the context of of some, some abandoning the faith. And uh, he's now calling Timothy to remain loyal. Where's that loyalty going to come from? You're just going to muster it up? What about those trials that come your way? What about the hard times? What's going to keep you going? It's going to be the strength that you find in the grace that is in Christ. You're going to go to Him. And He is going to, out of His love... Get involved in your life and, and grant you supernatural power of soul to sustain you so that you don't just wave the white flag. Grace uh, and power for trials, but also for temptation. Hebrews 2, 18 says, For since he himself was tempted in that which... He has suffered. He is able to come to help to those who are tempted. So having suffered temptation, Jesus, in his grace, is available to the Christian to help you in your temptation. Have you thought about that in your fight against your sins? When you're struggling, when the temptation comes, what do you do? Your instinct needs to be to cry out to Christ, help me to say no, Lord. It's not just, okay, here's the fight, I got I to bear up, you know. There's an element of that, but the bearing up is bearing up with his strength. It's putting on the armor of his strength, his grace. So him having suffered under the, the, the onslaught of satanic temptation is more than able to help you now in all of your temptations to withstand and to remain faithful in obedience to God. That's what his grace is there for, for you, Christian. To give you strength. To give you victory in temptation. And then lastly, in this point, uh, grace to reign. Grace to reign. What do I mean here? Well, what does Owen mean? He, he means uh, that the grace of Christ uh, is an exact correspondence to the whole law. The grace of Christ is an exact correspondence to the whole law. So you have the law. Right? And what was the function of the law? To be a tutor, right? To, be, to, to teach. And I mean, you think of the Ten Commandments, which is kind of the crystallization or the, the, the center um, a, a pebble of the law of which all the ripples of the law flow out of. You think of the Ten Commandments. What is that for? That's for your life and your relationship with God. To make sure that you do the right thing. and To guide you in, into what a good life would look like. Well, Christ is the perfect law. He, his grace does exactly what the law was aiming to do. But because of our sin, the law uh, couldn't fully accomplish its purpose. Because of our sin, there was no lack in the law itself. It's, it's from God. It's perfect. But the lack comes from our end, where we're sinners and we can't do it. So, so, so how, do we live, how do we have a good life and how do we have a good relationship with God? It's through grace, the grace of Christ. 
I have to prove it to you. Romans 6, 14. This is what it means when it says, Sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Why and and on on what grounds can you live a godly life, a life where sin is not mastering you? How is that possible? Well, it's not going to be under the law. It's going to be under grace. What does that mean? It's going to be under the, uh, the involvement of Christ in your life because of his love for you. That's grace, remember? It's because he is involved in your life to give you what you need and all the things that we looked at before. To give you direction, to give you guidance, to give you help, to give you strength, to give you victory over temptation, to give you an example to follow. Because he, in his grace, is involved in your life, you don't need all the sacrificial system and all of the the law. The grace of Christ provides everything that that was trying to to do. His, His free, loving involvement in your life is enough to provide for you this, this governing and uh, a guiding uh, uh, reign of God. Uh, in the context of our main passage, John 1, John 1.17, it says, For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So you see, again, there's this contrast, right? And Christ himself says, I didn't come to undo the law, but to fulfill the law. So, so he, he doesn't say, well, you know, you don't have to love the Lord your God with all your heart. You don't have to obey your father and mother. You don't have to not steal. Go ahead and steal. He's not abolishing the law. It's not what he's doing. He's, he says he came to fulfill it. He, that is, I came to do the law in your place, and then to write the law upon your heart. And so, through Moses, the law came. The law was given, but through Christ, grace and truth come. What does that mean? Grace to live life. Grace to rule and guide your every step. Grace to govern all your decisions. All right. Secondly, in the last few minutes that we have together, all degrees of grace. All degrees of grace. What are we talking about here? Well, back to John 1.16, we're just explaining what does it mean when he says grace upon grace. What does that mean? And Owen says it's just talking about all the degrees of grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. How much grace do you need? Christ has it all. That's, that's, if, you, if there's nothing else to understand from this, that, that is the essence of it. Uh, man, there's this great quote. Okay, Jeremiah Burroughs says, uh, he gives an illustration of, of what we're talking about here. The degrees of grace. Enough to fill you, right, and, and your need. He says, as it is with a vessel that is full of liquid, think of a vessel that's full of liquid, when, if you strike upon it, it will make no great noise. But if it's empty and you strike upon it, then it makes a great noise. So it is with the heart, Jeremiah Burroughs says. He says, A heart that is full of grace and goodness within, such a one will bear a great many strokes and never make any noise. But an empty heart, if that is struck, that will make a noise. He explains, Those men and women that are so much complaining and always whining, it is a sign that there is an emptiness in their heart. But if their hearts were filled with grace, 
they would not make such a noise as they do. You see, why does this world, why is it filled with people complaining of the state of things? Well, because they're empty. That's the complaint. The, the complaint of the, of the unbelievers around you is the, the evidence of the emptiness of their hearts. That they don't have the grace and the goodness of God filling them. And Christian, when you complain, when you whine of the state of things, it's showing that you're not filled with Him. You're, you're complaining of all of these things, about all of these things, thinking that that is what's going to fill you. You're complaining about all the things that you don't have. That's not going to fill you. And when trials come, the complaints come, right? But Christian, if you're full of the grace of Christ, and he has all, um, all degrees of grace to fill whatever need you have. If you're full of the grace of Christ, then when trials come, the complaints are quiet. Right? You're content. You're still and calm in, in the grace of Christ. Okay, how full is he? Right? That's the question. How full, if, if Christ is full of grace, how full is he? Right? That's the question. Um, well, full enough to fill his, his humanity. And we'll go through these quickly. He, he's full enough to fill his humanity. That's how full he is. Colossians 1.19 For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God pleased to dwell in the man Jesus Christ, the God-man Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.9 In him all the fullness of deity dwells specifically here bodily. So we're talking about the body of Christ, the humanity of Christ. All the fullness of deity was found when you walked up to this man that was standing before you named Jesus. You were encountering the fullness of deity. Wow. The fullness of grace. 1 Timothy 1, 13 and 14 uh, says, Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor, a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy. Because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. There we have it. More than abundant grace with the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Christ, overcoming all of your sin and wretchedness, comes with abundant grace to provide for you faith and love for Christ. All that you could ever need. Faith and love for Him. He's, he's full enough of grace to fill, his, to fill his humanity. He's also full enough to be a tabernacle. Full enough to be a tabernacle. What do I mean here? Well, this is uh, coming from John 1.14, where it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this one, this flesh... This human, uh, though at the same time God, this God-man, uh, dwelt among us. And that word for dwelling is to tabernacle. It's to tabernacle. And John is certainly uh, t reminding us that Christ was a temple, a tabernacle of God on earth, walking around. And, and that reality now, trans, uh, now is our reality. We are, you are the temple of God. And the church is the tabernacle of God. Right? So we inherit that from Him. Uh, and this is, again, a, a, a callback to Exodus 40, verse 35. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, because the cloud had dwelt on it, and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. So that, that's what is being hearkened back to. Remember when that, that, that tabernacle, that tent, was filled with the glory of God, bursting to the seams, as it were, so that you, Moses couldn't even enter. There was no room for another. That's what it was for Christ. Full of the grace of God. So that he is a walking tabernacle on this earth. And then, uh, lastly... Uh, full enough to be God in flesh. 
full enough to be God in flesh. Uh, what I mean here is uh, he is full of grace. John Owen says he is full of grace to an everlasting monument of the glory of God. He is an everlasting monument to the glory of God. He is God in flesh. He fills up that title completely. Again, John 1.19, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Uh, and then again in John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. So the begotten one, Jesus Christ, has explained God. He has shown God to us. He is God's representative. That's the idea. God in flesh. You want to see the Father, Christ says, look at me. And uh, this is typified in Hebrews 1.3. Speaking of Christ, who is the radiance of his glory. The radiance, Christ is the radiance of the glory of God the Father. The exact representation of his nature. So do you, you want to know what God is like? You go to Christ, and only Christ can say that. You want to see God? Look at me. I don't know anybody in this world that, could, that would dare say that. At least someone who is sane, anyways. But Christ can, and he does. And so, so again, he doesn't say, you know, God is in the heavens, and he would like for you to come into heaven and be his servants there, but, you know, he's too busy, or, you know, he's, he's too good for you. And so uh, I've come on behalf of him to not bother him with you. That's not what Christ coming into this world is. It is God clothing himself in humanity and saying, I have come for you so that you would come to me and have a relationship with me and know me. So if you want to know God, you want to enjoy God, enjoy me, Christ says. All right, one last quote. Uh, this comes from Jonathan Edwards. Um, now you know what, I'm going to save that quote. It's, it's a good one, I don't want to rush it. <laughs> I'll save it. Um, we'll save it for next week, maybe. Uh, John 1.16, as we close. Of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. So, as Christ is full of every kind of grace, right? As Christ is full of every kind of grace, having received, having received it, as He's full of every kind of grace, Christian, I encourage you to receive of His fullness. If He has every kind of grace available to you, then the exhortation is, then, then take it. Take of his grace. And as Christ is full in every degree of grace, then I encourage you to draw from him, not just a little grace, but grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. Take as much as you need. Take as much as you want. He has more in his supply for you. You will not drain him. So let him fill your need, Christian. Let him fill your weakness. Whatever your need is, let him richly supply that for that need. And you will find him to be a delight to the soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for sending your Son the incarnation of, of your grace. We pray, Lord, that we would go to the fountain of grace in Christ, that we would go to him daily and draw from him, that we would delight our souls in him as he proves himself to be enough for every situation, every season, every need, every amount of, of need. He is, he is sufficient for it. As, as, and as you supply for our needs, oh Lord, show yourself to be a delight to your, to, your, to your children. Show yourself to be 
a good thing for them to draw on. Show yourself to be a good and sweet fountain for their souls. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.